Is there extra space next to you? If you could bless someone and make it empty, that'd be awesome. But good morning. It's a pleasure. This morning, I get the privilege of opening up another passage of Scripture. That's awesome. And we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation in chapter 21. And here at Cab, we love to rejoice in the saving work of Jesus Christ, to take dead sinners and make them alive in Jesus. So please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. If you do not own a Bible, there are Bibles in the back, and they are our gift to you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would visit this place, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. I am not able to speak about heaven as I, am, as I ought to be able to, Lord God. But Lord, I pray that you would teach us, grow us, guide us in this place, Lord, to consider heaven. Teach us that truth and let it make a difference in our life. I pray that your blessing would be on this sermon. Your blessing would be upon the hearers of the sermon and that your grace would be given. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, this morning we are going to get to talk about the new heaven and the new earth. What I am calling the new heaven and new earth, I'm going to be calling heaven in my sermon. Now, that is not the present heaven. Right now, if someone dies, they do not go to the new heaven and new earth. Because the new heaven and new earth is where we will have our resurrected bodies. It will be when evil is gone. Jesus will have already come back. Judgment day will be over. And we will forever be in heaven for all of eternity. We will be forever seeing Jesus. That time will never come to an end. We will never have to stop looking at Jesus. In his presence, sorrow cannot live and joy cannot die. And what makes this believable, what makes this a credible profession is that he has given us the gospel. The compelling work of Jesus Christ makes this a compelling and believable truth. Seeing this great redemption in the cross, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus means that everything that stands in the way of that blessing is now gone. All of it has been moved out of the way by Jesus Christ because of his great gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection means that sin has been overcome. God has given us new bodies. This broken world is now done with. And we will be in forever in eternity. And in eternity, it will be unfailing because God the Son at the cross took evil on him and reconfigured it and made it to be great good. That is why we believe in heaven. Only Jesus can do such a thing. We need this passage in our Bibles. We need Revelation 21, but we needed Jesus to get 
Revelation 21 for us. This part of our Bible, although not, not reflected on as much as I would, as I myself did not reflect on it as much, I'm preaching this sermon because I felt that I needed to reflect on this passage more. It is a critical and necessary and essential part of our Bibles. It is, it is not the size and the geography and the topography exactly that John is so supremely concerned with. His emphasis is not the exact and precise details of heaven. His emphasis is the nature of heaven. Grieving and weeping is over. It will be the age of endless triumph and singing. He is concerned what, what, what kind of heaven we have. And he is the last apostle. The apostle John writes the book of Revelation, and he is the last preserved apostle. God ordained him to be the last one exiled on the island of Patmos, and he gives us the final and last revelation. It is his last word to us. God kept John alive long enough so that he could give this to us. So, let's open Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. First, he says, I saw it. The apostle John is kind of like a new Moses here. Moses in the Old Testament was not able to enter the promised land, but he promised land, uh, promised land that he was able to see it from afar. John says, I saw the new heaven and new earth. And his testimony is the strongest because he is then saying he is an eyewitness. And it is a double testimony because it's scripture. So John wants us to be hearing him say, this is a place. I have seen it with my eyes. He has seen for us heaven. The first earth will be passed away. And so today, this morning, we get to think about a world that will last forever. So many of our thoughts here and now are filled with things that will one day pass away. They are transient and passing. The thoughts of an unbeliever are filled with things that will not exist one day. But we have the blessing, the grace of Jesus Christ to consider and to have a world that is durable, lasting. An unbeliever has no, no thoughts. They know nothing of heaven and its unsurpassing glory. 
This is not just another doctrine. Heaven is not just an add-on to our Bibles. If all we have is this life alone, it is not enough. The Apostle Paul said, If I hope in Christ and this life alone, I am of all men most to be pitied. This world is not enough. It is not even close to enough. Our bodies cry out for eternity with Christ forever. To live your life never thinking about heaven with Jesus Christ forever. To not think that in your entire life is a tragedy. It is a deep sorrow to go through your entire life never considering considering your eternal home with Jesus. When we read the first earth passed away, that is some of the most comforting words ever. All of the scandals, all of the regrets, all of the sin and shame of our lives will pass away. God is able to make all of that pass away. He is creating a new world, which is not a second chance. Second chances can be lost. They can be squandered away. He is creating a new world where it can never be lost. All of the trauma of our lives, all of the scars that we do so much to try and get rid of, but we have such brokenness sometimes in our past that no matter how hard we try, it cannot be fixed. But he can fix it. He is able to remove it. He will do it. He can do it. This is the verse we need in our lives. If we have confessed Jesus Christ and his blood, all of our scandals can be overturned. And so he calls it the new heaven and new earth because it is still connected to the first heaven and first earth. The sinful rebellion of mankind, Satan, and humans are not strong enough to destroy God's handiwork. God still has a plan for the earth. It is the new earth. And in that place, Jesus' redemption is strong enough to restore not just us, but also creation and nature The same way Jesus' body was broken at the cross and he took that very same body and resurrected it to a new glory. He will take the same earth, broken as it is, and resurrect it to a new heaven and a new earth. And then he says, the sea was no more. I think that is probably symbolic. The sea today does not have the same effect as it did back then on those who lived in those days. 
In those days, the sea represented the mysterious and the dark, the treacherous, treacherous parts of the world. The sea was that which limited mankind. Today, modern inventions have defanged the sea. But back then, the sea was where the horrors and sin and all these bad, evil things seemed to come as monsters from the sea. And so he is saying that he will speak a calm, just like Jesus did in the Gospels on the boat. When the storm came, Jesus said, peace, be still. God, in his majesty, will say, peace, be still. So it will be like there is no sea of evil. All will be tranquil. And then he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. This today is a city we cannot see. But one day, we with the apostle John will also get to see a city, the new Jerusalem coming down. Imagine, someday soon, you are watching your eternal city, your eternal home, just like John, descend, and you are in heavenly glory, and it will never be taken away from you. This was a costly city. God couldn't just give it to us. He needed to give his own son, Jesus Christ, so that we could get this city. And it is in that city where we will be satisfied with Jesus, with all that he is for us forever. And so God says, pursue that city. And then he says, it is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He is to, I think he's talking about preparation in two different ways. The city and the people, or the place and the people. In verse 7, it says that we will inherit the city. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. But then in Revelation 3.12, Jesus says, he will write the name of the city on us. So the new Jerusalem is a place and a people. And so this city is not yet complete because every day new children of God enter into it. God has not finished history yet. The city is not completed yet. God is preparing and has prepared a place for them, but they are not yet prepared for it. And Jesus is in heaven ready. Jesus is the prepared husband. In heaven now, Jesus is surrounded, being praised, glorified, honored, and all that Jesus receives in heaven still does not distract him from us on earth. Jesus loves us so much that he will intercede us all the way to heaven. He will lose none of us. Jesus has been and is preparing himself. His death, burial, and resurrection was in preparation. God prepared himself for us. Not for him, but for us. 
It is for our own good that Jesus has prepared himself because our good is in him, in union with him and communion with him. And this new heaven and new earth that we look forward to will not only be a new environment, it will be new language. Words like love, peace, joy are filtered through corruption now. In that world, love, peace, and joy will be totally different than we know. It will be a world totally different in experience. Words like love, peace, and joy right now are restrained. They are held back by this broken world. So when we speak about heaven now, we are somewhat like little children. The same way we speak to a child and they repeat the words that we teach them, they do not fully grasp the word that they repeat. And so we too, like little children, when we say things like heaven is eternal and we will see his face and he will be our temple, we are like little children repeating God's words. And so in heaven, we will more fully grasp what these words mean. But he is the only one now who fully grasps them. And then verse 3 and 4. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The first description of the new heaven and new earth is that God dwells there with man. The omnipresent God is able somehow to localize himself in that city. He is able to put himself into a particular point and concentrate himself there as what it says here, dwelling in that city. So in the new age, God will mediate his presence he will con concentrate and condense himself so that this city contains the intensity of God. This is the theme of our Bible. God's desire to fellowship with us on the earth. Since the garden, God has desired to fellowship with man and woman on earth. But in our corruption, we broke that fellowship. And God's story of redemption is the restoration towards a new heaven and a new earth, united together, fellowshipping with God, unbroken in perfection. He plans to renew it. That is why he uses words like redemption. Reconciliation, restoration, renew, reform. God is going to remake our earth 
for us and for him, for all of eternity, all because of Jesus Christ, and it will never come to an end. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, he says, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in the heaven and things on the earth. Heaven and earth united together for all of eternity in Jesus Christ. This is redemption. Sin has contaminated everything. Sin goes and breaks all, but redemption goes and fixes it all. Sin is exposed to everything. It goes deep and wide and large, and redemption goes deeper and wider and larger. That is the story of the grace of Jesus Christ. Our God's redemption is stronger. So it also says in Revelation 22, 4, that we will see his face. God himself is the greatest gift of heaven. The promise of the Bible is that we will get God and we will get to behold God, I think in the same way now we describe our lives as before I became a Christian and after, I think in eternal heaven we will say the eternal life I had before I saw his face and the eternal life I had after I saw his face because his face will change us. And eternity will not be long enough to comprehend that face. We will not be there long enough to comprehend God. And beholding him will be one of the best, most meaningful, purposeful, intentional, and awesome activities that we are doing in heaven. And there will never come a time when there won't be more glory of God to discover. There will always be more of him. This is the great promise of the Bible. Anything less than God would be finite and exhaustible and would come to an end. Anything less than God himself would be on our level, something created. We need that which is above us, beyond us, brings us to the next level. And we behold what we behold, we become like. In this world, when we behold sin, it debases and corrupts us. But in heaven, when we are beholding God, it will perfect us. To behold God is the greatest grace. He will give his unchangeable self to our changing selves, to drink and enjoy him, to be so near to him, to have the pleasures of God forever. And he is not doing this to make himself any better. God is perfect. He cannot be better than he is already. He is the eternal, unchanging, perfect one. He gives us heaven for us, for our improvement for our betterment, for our felicity and virtuosity. For it is not for God. It is ultimately for us to enjoy God, for his glory forever. God's already dwelling in sinless perfection. He wants us to be happy. 
So he made heaven for us. God has designed a way to glorify himself by giving us sweet blessing and being with him, dwelling with him, knowing him forever. What a blessing that not only do we want to be with him, he wants to be with us. In Revelation 14, 3, it says, And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the living creatures, and, and the four living creatures, and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They will be singing that song in his presence. We will sing a new song that only the redeemed can learn. The privileges and blessings of heaven will supply us with new songs. These new songs will be our new discoveries of God. And God desires that new song. God gave his son for that new song. It cost so much to have it, and yet God wanted it. He wanted, he wants to hear us singing a new song to him for ages upon ages. And it is the melody of that song that will fill heaven with the echoes of God's glory forever. And it is only Jesus Christ that can teach us this new song. Through his cross, through Christ alone, he intercedes us all the way to heavenly glory before his Father so that he can hear us sing a new song. And in his presence, as we sing a new song, he speaks peace and love and pleasure and fullness. This will be the unique experience of the redeemed. How blessed it will be to be still singing after the day of judgment because Jesus is worthy. After that day of judgment, by grace in Jesus, we will still be singing. The Apostle John, he is not giving this to us to fulfill and satisfy some curiosity that we have in our hearts. He's not interested in speculations. Heaven is for the despairing. Heaven is for the weak and the weary who are ready to give up. For those who are just about to turn back, heaven is there. But if we are steadfast and faithful, if we fight, there is a crown of glory. Heaven is the great affirmation that Pain and suffering in this life are real. Only this kind of heaven, this kind of heaven, with no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, only this 
kind of heaven answers for this world. So when he says, no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, the former things have passed away, he means all the negatives will be gone. Everything evil and empty done away with. Heaven will be a world of fullness, fullness of love, fullness of heart, no jealousy, no selfishness. When we get upset in this age when someone else prospers, in heaven we will delight in the prosperity of our brother and sister. One theologian said there will be no lack of love. We will have all the love that we desire. More love than we can carry. There will be no deception, no corruption, no hypocrisy. In that world, everything will be honest and true. People will be actually who they say they are. This world lacks sincerity, but in that world, words of affirmation and love will be meaningful and true. All of our relationships with one another will be genuine and real. Always. There will be no backbiting, gossip, doubts, no suspicions of one another. There will be nothing to interrupt our friendship. And all of us journey to this great and holy place. We journey through this world of wilderness. God protects us. He leads us. He guides us. He keeps us from temptations. And then all the more sweetly on that day when we are in heaven together, when we see one another and remember if we are able the trials and troubles and the tribulations, but we are there. How sweet it will be to know the journey and that we have made it there. We will be reigning with him in those days, wearing garments of glory, living in a king's palace. Nothing compares in our minds to the great glory God has in store. Heaven will be a world of reunion and recovery. Not temporary reunion and temporary recovery. Eternal reunion and recovery. For those of us who have lost saints, we will find them there, never to lose them again. In heaven, we will find those things that we long for. There will be no loss, no change. We will dwell in perfect safety. Our imaginations cannot keep up with the glories and wonders that God has in store for us. In that place of eternal bliss, we will be reigning for thousands Millions of years and still be in the freshness of the youth that God has with no end to it in store. And if we reject Jesus, we die to get none of this. But if we believe in Jesus, we die to get all of this. 
What ultimately matters is not how your story begins. It is how your story ends. Life is for keeps. If your view of life offers you nothing on a deathbed, it is worse than useless. At the deathbed is when you need all of these promises to come true. Christ Jesus has confronted death. Believe in Jesus. He changes the name of death so that death is no longer death. Death becomes eternal life. There is something very special and profound to me in this phrase, no more sorrow, no more pain, the former things have passed away. There are some things in this life, some thoughts, some images which cause grief and pain. For example, when I was a kid, my father died. On a Sunday, we were playing basketball. I was playing with my father and my brothers. And he grabbed his chest very suddenly. And he said he needed to stop playing basketball. So we went inside so he could rest. And on that Sunday, I had to see my father die of a massive heart attack. He was 46 years old. So sometimes when I think about him in this life, it brings me a deep sorrow. Some thoughts or images that remind me of him bring sorrow and pain to my life. But the deep and profound truth of this passage is that in heaven, those thoughts and images will never cause me sorrow and pain again. God will cause all of that to stop. It will not be able to, to be there. The change that God is going to do in me and in you means that if any of those sorrowful thoughts in this life were to pass through our minds, it would never bring us sorrow again. That promise alone is unspeakable for those of us who have suffered. Let's keep going to Revelation verse 5. He says, he, was, he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. When God says it is done, God is doing what he always does. Verse 5 and 6 give us a wonderful picture. He says, it is done. But before he says it is done, he says, I am making all things new. Write it down. It is done. God decrees the future. The future does not exist apart from God. God decrees it, then he writes it down, and then he brings it to pass. That is 
the way our God works. He gets more glory because he writes down what he is going to do. And then when he says it is done, he, he is doing an amazing thing. His prophecy, he is making a prophecy about the future, but as past. When you and I talk, we could talk in the future tense, we could talk in the past tense, but God speaks in God's tense. He speaks in a future as completed tense, a prophetic past tense. He is speaking in a tense that he's the only one able to speak in because God is not limited by time. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He has no beginning and no ending. He is beyond. And when he says it is done, think about this. It is done means that God's final aim, his terminating point, God's monumental and main design is what? That we would be in heaven with him. His final purpose is that we are his child and he is our God. That is what he is going after. Redemption and history says it is done when we are all there. What an amazing God that that is his final goal. He wants us perfected in glory with him. And Jesus is the one that is the foundation for it all. It all flows through the hands of Jesus Christ. The goal of God is to transfer through Jesus Christ perfection and riches to us so that we can sing his loudest praises. This creation was God's choice. He wanted to communicate himself to a people. The new heaven and the new earth is the final expression of that love. It is right now in this world, the love of God's heart is not perfectly displayed in this world because this world is broken. In heaven, God's perfect love will rightly be displayed in the world. His love will match reality. And we will partake of that love forever. His final focus is on rational creatures, us. He is not concerned with rocks, sun, moon, and stars ultimately. He is concerned that he has a people to receive the grace of Jesus Christ, to worship him, to know him, to experience the depth of that love. So he says to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of life without payment. Jesus invites. There is one qualification. Are you thirsty? Does your sin and your needs make you thirsty for Jesus? 
Christians say yes. Are you thirsty? And he, knowing we are poor, makes it free. In closing, let's look at verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In heaven, things are undefiled. That which is defiled cannot go there. We must forsake the defiling sins of life. We must forsake passing pleasures of sin so that we can get the holy and permanent pleasures of heaven. God does not want to take away these things that are enjoyable. God is protecting us from these sins which would destroy our souls. If there is anything, any sin, any person that would keep you from an eternity with Jesus, we must forsake it. We must turn away from it no matter what. Anything that stands in the way of an eternity with Jesus Christ must be left behind or we would weep in hell forever for our sins apart from Jesus Christ. Turn from those sins which will keep you on the ground. Lord, I want to close with these last two points quickly. The ways that heaven should change our lives. First, if you are in Christ, it means that your life is very optimistic. Even if every day for the rest of your life was a bad day, every day after that would be your best day ever. Can you imagine three days out of a week happy? Seven days in a row happy? Can you imagine 365 days of uninterrupted happiness? Can you imagine eternity of pure, unmitigated happiness? The second thing, be content in all the troubles that you pass through in this life. The path to heaven is an uphill path. It has many difficulties, many obstacles, but it is worth it. Every path has difficulties on it. All paths have difficulties on it. But this is the only path that has Christ. For this new year, ask yourself these questions. How does heaven affect how you live? How does heaven affect your morals? How does heaven affect the decisions of your life? How does heaven affect your hope in this life here and now? The revelations of heaven should make a difference in our life. The natural man 
has all of his plans on this earth, which is cursed and frustrated. But a believer's plans stretch into eternity. Death becomes part of our plans. And we don't depend on anything. We don't depend on our health. We don't depend on our families. We don't depend on anything except Jesus Christ. All else can fail, but we have Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we long and look forward to the days. Lord, I pray that heaven would change our evangelism, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that heaven would have a deep and blessed impact on our lives, Lord God. Let it change the sins in our lives, Lord God, that we would turn from them. Let it give us a sweet longing and hope, Lord God. I pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.